0: That's when my eyes gave up like everything yeah. my whole body just disintegrated yeah you became a
1: skeleton yeah but I, I learned a bunch of learned. stuff <laughs> you can always get your your muscles back later butter scotch Shenan. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 161 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and my visual field is obstructed by a giant microphone. I'm Sam, and I make art. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Judely Toothy 2018. Mm-hmm. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen in this show. There's going to be profanity and uh, just other stuff that babies and children uh, either shouldn't hear or don't want to hear. Stuff will.
0: about object permanence. Stuff mm-hmm. about standing. Stuff mm-hmm. about using bathrooms. It's Long-term things that, term episodic memory.
1: Just, yep, all kinds of It's things of kids things. don't want to know, but they need to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm, if you know.
2: want to age real quick, stick around.
1: Yeah, you're gonna have a bald spot in the mm-hmm. back of your, in the top middle back part of your head. Top middle back part. Is there a they name for that? Specific for that? And isn't that the crown? I think it's the crown. Crown. The top middle back. Mm-hmm. I How come top the crown isn't just where the crown goes? That's uh, your whole head. I think it used to. It used to <laughs> they used to
0: have little tiny crowns that just sat on the crown of your head. The mm. problem is
1: they kept falling off because yeah. you had to you had to hold your head downward at a thirty degree angle. It's a price of the nobility. Crown. Yeah. You know. Yep. You could always tell a king because they had a horrible neck problem. You know, mm-hmm. back that. Holding that crown. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Yeah. Especially
2: when it's tiny and on the back of your <laughs> middle back head.
1: As the same <laughs> as the saying goes. Also, before we get started with the episode, we'd like to thank those who have given us money via <laughs> tips.beescotch dot net. Uh, yeah. So that's help helps to support the uh, podcast, which we appreciate. So we want to thank uh Philip Bear ninety three, hot claw, Horace, and Satellite. So I think I want to take a moment to say that, you know, the fact that a satellite stopped orbiting for a moment. To beam uh, us some cash. To beam some cash down. But which, it's a, but which one though? Pro, I'm probably Hubble. I think it was Hubble. Or the moon, which is a satellite. That's true. it you know. well, so, didn't
0: even say it was an Earth satellite. It could have been
1: any. satellite. It could have been satellite. Ganymede. Yeah. <laughs> Io. Been. I.O.
0: We don't know. Planetary bodies
2: are
1: big fans. Big fans yeah. of the podcast. Um, and also we have been, we've been internally debating whether or not the URL tips.bsketch.net is confusing because maybe people who want tips for how to like how to play the games mm-hmm. might go there thinking they're going to get you know some or hot who want to send us some
2: tips. They're like, here's some news. Story Here I got about, some tips yeah. for you
1: guys about how to do better good games. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Which we, we definitely thought, don't want to hear. Yeah. So we thought we need to make a more sort of clear and understandable URL for people to donate. We so, had a
2: good discussion last week about this, too. You yeah. Know, and so... We wanted
1: to be very professional,
0: you know, just very easy to yeah.
1: remember, mm-hmm. just all of those mm-hmm. So it needs to check all those boxes. So we have a new URL, which is moneygrab.bsketch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so
2: if you want to let us grab some of your money in exchange for, you know, listening to the podcast, then you got Or money not grab? even in exchange, because you can listen
1: that. to it for free if you want to. Uh, but as we all know, podcasts are the ultimate in in the long con. Mm-hmm. You know, you just yeah. you just record hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio. Yep. Boom. You buy a thousand dollars of equipment. You're a billionaire. Yep. Just like that overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's get on to some news. First of all, Adam is leaving <gasps> for, for just for a couple <gasps> weeks.
0: For a moment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I'm I'm starting to get abandonment issues because yep. every two weeks somebody Someone's is gone, gone yeah, for two well, you, weeks. To
0: be fair, you started it though. It's true. Because you were gone for basically two weeks because you were here but not here because you had family in town and then you were gone oh one that's week true and yeah two weeks after that Sam was gone mm-hmm. and now I'm leaving just like most deep-seated issues it really
1: it is starts problem, from is you, you. <laughs> it starts
2: inside you got to fix
1: yourself you before, fix yourself you know you can handle so this so really this is just in response yeah so Adam is going this is my on. revenge Adam basically. is going on a revengecation mm-hmm. yeah which
0: I mean, I always like revenge stories. I'm just really. Do you want? Do you <laughs> want to
1: talk about uh, this trip? Where you're going? What you? What you're going to uh, see? I'll probably talk about it when I
0: get back.
1: Okay, because we're going to. I kind of know what's
0: it. going to happen when I go there, but it's not very interesting until I have some stories to tell when I,
1: when I get back. I assume. Keep take Even good then, Even might not be interesting. Take good know. notes. I will take spectacular. Take notes. Take copious mm-hmm. notes. Um, also, let's talk about Level Head. Okay. Some stuff has happened in this past week. That I am very excited about. Mm-hmm. Basically every few days of development, something happens and then we go, oh my god, this is a game changer. This changes everything. I think Seth has screamed, this changes
0: everything.
2: About at least every, every day. four days yeah, uh, yeah, during yeah. development.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, especially the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. So so there's something that has been always kind of in the back of our mind about level Head that we've been worried about, which is that, yeah, it's a fun platformer, but if if all you can do – is run and jump and, you know, jump on enemies and stuff. It feels like there's just not quite enough interaction points with things in the world to make it really compelling. Well, because like all you
0: can say about it is this is a really good platform.
1: It's a good platformer. feels good. You know, good physics. Um, and we added all these puzzle elements like switches and things into the game. But it was also kind of hard to make puzzles out of them sometimes um, because of just how sort of monolithic the number of things that mm-hmm. the player can do is. Well, you basically, you always have to be touching stuff. Yeah. Sort of, that's the rule of platforming. Yeah. Yeah. And so our first attempt at kind of solving that was was adding push blocks, where we said, yeah, we want, we want like objects in the environment that you can push around. And then, you know, with a push block, you can, you can use it to elevate yourself. So you can like Mm -hmm. push it somewhere and then jump off of it. um, Or you can push it onto a pressure plate. And those were basically the two things that you could do with it. Uh, and, And push blocks also had the added problem that, you can only push them. They're not pull blocks. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. You right? have that
2: problem, which happens in a lot of uh, sort of puzzly games where you can have these corner issues. where Things you, get stuck. Yeah. If you push a push block into a corner, since you can't pull it for arbitrary reasons, then you can't get it out. And since you yeah. can't
0: lift it, then if you push it down a level, then you it's can't It's just get down it there again. now.
2: And yeah. so
1: it's got the sort of – It's very constrained.
2: Yeah. It always goes to like the corners and
0: downward in, in the worst way possible. If yeah. up. And so – push. Then bo- also because they could be anywhere because they didn't – they weren't – they weren't necessarily adhered to the grid like everything else was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then now there was a, an issue that Seth had when trying to make a good performance tweaks for the game where stuff would despawn off screen or whatever because now he would have to actually know exactly, you know, to the to the fraction of a pixel where
1: – right Because blocks they're, push blocks would be fully solid, yeah. which means it really matters where they are, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we kind of had this in the back of our mind of like this is something that we need to solve, but we never quite saw the solution. So last week we added this grabbing mechanic. Where you can hit a little button and then you just pick stuff up. So what did we add? We added the ability to pick up a friend in multiplayer. Mm-hmm. We removed pushing entirely, and you can now pick. You can now pick up a push block. So now it's a throw block. Right. Uh, so the block. So you can stack it on to other blocks, which you couldn't do before. You can hurl it across a gap. Mm-hmm. You can carry it to new areas you of the take level it with you. Which yeah, it's nice. You, yeah. you take it with you, and you do all kinds of cool stuff with it. And so. Uh, so that all of a sudden blew the lid off of what we could do. So then we added bombs mm-hmm. that you can pick up and throw, and then we added bomb generators, and you can do stuff like hide bombs inside of blocks and stuff. So you could, you know, as the player, you never know what you're gonna find as you travel through the level. You may break a breakable block, boom, a bomb comes out. Now you can pick that up and throw it at an enemy to, you know, blow them up, or you can throw it at a friend and launch them across mm-hmm. across the level. Um so all of a sudden with this grab mechanic there's just the level it felt I feel like the game finally just really opened up.
2: Yeah and we've been waiting for whatever that thing was actually for a while now because it's it's been the case that the addition of uh, in a game like this the addition of say power-ups or uh new enemies or even new platforms and things that move in a different way they're always very interesting because it's it's almost like building an alphabet right It's like or more like building a dictionary I guess so the more words you have uh, even if you have a constrained number of letters, you you start having this really generative just explosion happen. But if you don't have certain concepts in place to be able to build certain words at all, like what if you just don't have the ability to make verbs? Yeah. You just can, you know, sort of the, the comparison, then you're, yes, you can, you can still convey a lot of stuff, but you're, you're going to be missing, or at least you're not necessarily going to have some level of depth to certain things. So the nice thing and the weird thing I think about from a design standpoint about thrown objects in a platformer or grabbed objects in a platformer uh, is essentially that what it does is it transfers – You know, in a platformer, all you can do is move the player. And if you can also then move these objects in some way, then you essentially have these extensions of the player that then end up bouncing around the screen with all their own behaviors of their own sorts. Yeah. Like we have springs, for example, that if you throw them, they actually behave a little bit differently than if you throw a box. And the bombs, of course, explode after a moment. And so – you start stacking up these variabilities in terms of how things move around the level when they're thrown as well as sort of how they react to the things. And you end up having not just the platformer that you originally had but sort of like a, like echoes of different versions of that that
1: come out of that original platformer right. idea. So, so you can even do stuff like pick up a spring, jump up in the air, throw the spring down. Mm-hmm. The spring hits the ground and since it's bouncy, like it has a bouncy behavior when it when it hits the ground – then you bounce the spring upward mm-hmm. and then you can get like an extra high jump because then you bounce off of it as it's flying through the air. Or maybe it's fancy. Can yeah. you throw a
0: bomb underneath it to launch the spring up that you can then bounce uh,
1: off? You could do that with a push block. Things don't stand on bombs. OK. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Probably. Uh, plus bombs only last for like one second. Yeah. So, really. But you can do stuff like throw a bomb uh, up and then like when it's on its way down, you jump up past it. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. you are above it, and as it explodes, you launch yourself a million miles into the air. nice. so you can do all these really cool maneuvers uh, mm-hmm. through through skill and kind of learning how the mechanics work that just weren't possible before uh, so so we added that and then and then we were trying to figure out how to animate this because we have frame by frame animation, tons and tons of stuff and so Sam I think it was on thursday was Wednesday or Thursday was working on on how to do this and we couldn't come up with anything that was efficient. Yes, yeah, so the problem basically becomes if you add one of these motions like late in development because like the
2: character is not designed to have a thing flying out of them. We have like, like 150 right? animation frames for right. the Right, so, and most of those are repeats in the different power-up forms. So, GR18 by himself has like probably 30 frames, I guess, and then you multiply it by five, right, because of all the different power-ups. Yeah. And so, you end up with this, basically this combinatorial explosion problem which where you want to be as efficient as possible if you're adding a new action. So, with this tow cable the question basically becomes okay in, in all states is there is there a single frame you can use that in all states where you, whether you're falling and you throw it out to the right whether you're falling and you throw it out up or you're standing and then you shoot it to the left or
1: down or whatever else well well first we need to, we need to explain how the how it became a tow cable and this was part of the animation problem right
2: well yeah this is where it comes from yeah. is like you you end up with this position where okay if you want to if you want to well animate this thing you can either take the route of saying okay we're going to need basically six new frames per per one power up of these things or uh or we can just find some sort of alternative solution so the alternative solution was just to sort of extend a cable from behind the back of gr18 and originally it was like okay let's do like sort of like a holographic like a like Like a a laser laser hand thing that just grabs on stuff and so i made one and it looked like a like a skeleton claw. It, it was, was
0: very creepy.
2: It's very creepy. It didn't, didn't
1: fit the character I mean, I loved
2: it because it was so creepy because it was like, what the hell? Like he's got this weird hologram. Yeah. Of-
1: Sam is always trying to creep our players out and then Adam and I have to put the brakes on and we're like,
2: <laughs> dial it back. Don't. So it turned into <laughs> like a goof first. And there Although was a screen
0: caps, you know, mid grab would have been really because especially the very yeah. beginning when the hand is kind of like squeezing long out. and closed still. Yeah, It's not open yet. Very, no, very, very
2: good. <laughs> um, yeah. So then it transitioned into more of like a plunger, which is sort of more appropriate for kind of how Gr18 is like. He's this ball. He's kind of a squishy, squishy sort of. Uh, he's a nice character, right? You don't want to have him with a claw grappling things. And so uh, the plunger would fly out, and then it transitioned, and that was still a hologram. And then it transitioned fully into uh, now it's more like a sort of a magnetic tow cable. And then uh, the last iteration of it that I did, I just put GR18's face on it again. It's got so, a little face
1: on the end of it. So it's
2: got a little monitor and a face. So basically, and you almost won't see it if you're just playing the game, but in screenshots in particular, you'll see this like screaming, happy
1: plunger thing. Shoot, Shoot out of the
2: <laughs> out to people, Yeah,
1: and so, and so we we landed on this this tow cable solution so that we wouldn't have to animate. But mm-hmm. then that opened up the new idea of what if you, instead of having to grab stuff that, you, that you're right on top of, which is how normally a grab mechanic would work, well, if we got this this cable, then we can actually shoot it out a little ways. Yeah, you can right. reach a little bit. Yeah. And so so then all of a sudden, it changes everything. Mm-hmm. And so, so uh just as an experiment, uh, so so we made it so that it extends out just a couple of, of grid spaces in front of you. So you can't go, you know, super far. And it mm-hmm. also stops when it hits a solid object. So uh just as an experiment, I made a I made a puzzle level that is there's no enemies in it and it's literally just – you You have a push block or a throw block at the beginning of the level and you have to use this block in all kinds of ways to get to the end of the level. So the first thing you have to do is there's a an insurmountable stack of spike balls and there's a push block on the other side of it. And you got to shoot your cable through. through the gap, like through the spikes, grab the block and pull it through, use it to jump over, reach back across and pull it through again mm-hmm. and then you carry it with you through the rest of right. the level. And the craziest part is, so we, we so we did all this stuff, and then I was playing the level with my wife, because mm-hmm. uh, we you could do multiplayer, and the multiplayer once again changed everything Right, they because they
0: jump off of each other. Now, now you can p- yeah. now you can
1: pick up and throw each other. So uh so we did stuff like I would pick her up and then I would jump and then she can jump off my back mm-hmm. over the thing that previously I had to use a push block for. And then or, she can just grab you and pull you across the spikes. Yeah, right. And yeah, and because you can pull, you can pull things through things. Then we even had a scenario where she was standing on a pressure plate so that I could walk through a door. Right. Well, as soon as she steps off the pressure plate, the door closes. Door closes. Right. But I could stand on the other side of where the door was, shoot my cable out, and quickly pull her through the, <laughs> the door gap <laughs> before it final like before mm-hmm. it closed. Right. So. So just by adding this like little toe cable thing, now all of a sudden multiplayer feels very different. Everything feels very different.
2: Well, actually, and there's a big reason why too, which is – so part of it came about while sort of – while exploring the animation because the original idea was just to have a single frame grab that was sort of for objects that are right next to you. Uh, but as we talked about it, it became more apparent that that, that sort of – that doesn't necessarily open up some of these other avenues of play. And that's what we've been really trying to focus on with this game is every single mechanic, not just – not just doing the single job that we ask it to do, which is like, can you grab things? Yes or no. Um, but adding some element of additional play. So the fact that the tow cable comes out a couple of tiles, so two or three tiles. So it's almost like a lasso then, right? Uh, and then also that it takes a little bit of time to do so. Means that you now have this, there's a little bit of like a timing game associated with it. Where now, say you want to have some crazy level where you're uh, maybe bouncing uh, some pickupable object and you shoot the player over something. So like they have to time out. When the
1: grapple goes out to grab this thing and pull it back in, because right, you could, for example, put a spring over a fan, and the mm-hmm. spring will be blown up and down, right? So then, if you want to catch the spring in midair, then you'll have to yeah, time it out it. and shoot out your cable and catch it, right?
2: So it's not just it's not just about getting that one job done of like, can the player grab stuff? Yes or no? It's like, okay, so yes, the player can grab things,
1: but how do you make it super fun? Yeah,
2: can we make it so that there's just play involved in there, and then the fact that it echoes into multiplayer is just so cool. So
1: yes, so this is I feel I. I I've gone from feeling good about the game to feeling just like, this is fucking real Yeah, (laughs) And then on top of that, speaking of things that have changed everything, so we had the conversation last week about multiplayer because we added couch co-op and there's one kind of a weird sore spot with the multiplayer, which is when you, so if, if you're, if you're building a multiplayer level, then you have to beat it with the correct number of players in order to publish it which means that if you're building a level for say four players, then you might have you like you would need to have four players there with you in the room sort of like as you are tweaking and finalizing mm-hmm. and building the level. So this is obviously boring for those other three people if just to watch you make it and then Yeah, just to 20, watch you work for 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we thought, how do we make it so that people aren't just sitting around and we have the, I mean, the solution is right there, which is to let everybody edit the level at mm-hmm. the same time, which is stupid. <laughs> probably. <laughs> awesome. It's
2: an invitation for chaos, but in the same way that, I mean, so it's just regular couch yeah, co-op. Yeah.
1: So we, we, uh, we decided, yeah, let's just, so let's see what happens. Yeah. So if over we the, the weekend I did, I did it. Mm-hmm. I had to rebuild the editor completely to allow for basically like four channels of inputs and track all – the, all the stuff that we used to be tracking now has to be split out mm-hmm. you know, into multiple sort of input channels. And everybody gets their own item selected and their own thing that they're dragging around and stuff like that. So uh, we haven't tested it. Yeah, so we have some work to do. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to do it. Because, I mean, worst case scenario, if people don't want to – if people don't like it or they don't want to use it, then they just don't
2: have to. Yeah. This actually reminds me – so Seth and I played Super Mario Odyssey yesterday and uh, they break out their their co-op in a very interesting way because you you can play as either the hat or as Mario, right? Yeah. So that's like – that's how the two players split. It's not like a Mario and Luigi where you both have equal powers. It's actually like two very different things. And uh, the hat in this case can't be damaged, can't even be – it just murders things essentially and does other interesting stuff. You basically get to just help. Yeah, when you're the hat. But also if you are not doing anything, then the first player still controls like normal. So in other words, if if the player who is playing is the hat – decides just like set, decided to eat some popcorn i was like i'm gonna wild. eat some cheetos <laughs> it, it impacted <laughs> the gameplay not at all because right. i could still do all of the moves that he was doing right because
1: yeah mario can still throw his hat and then it comes back like a boomerang and yeah. stuff and But then so, as soon as i
2: take over now i'm controlling the hat yeah. so, so it was this really interesting way of doing this drop in and out multiplayer that and there, there were some times where we we're like oh i'll just play for a bit like i'm just gonna do this part i want to fight this boss or whatever else and so uh, I think having having the ability to like just yeah pop in and out is super cool because in the editor concept you just don't you don't actually need four people. No, there's no, it's probably better to not have. In four fact, weeks. it is probably better. It's <laughs> probably easier to control in the same way that basically any co op game that splits some of your functions is going to be easier to control yep. as one person. But it's still really fun. So I'm really curious to see
1: kind of how. It yeah, this is, I can guarantee the problem is it's really hard to test because like I can test multiplayer gameplay because the mechanics are pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but testing two people, you know, using controllers in the editor, there's so many possible inputs and I only have two hands, right? So, and I'm using a controller with one hand Then I need to try to like do, because basically the, most of the problems come when two people try to do the same thing at the same time. Yep. Right. So like two opposing
0: things at the same time. Yeah.
1: So if I start, like if I pick up an item and start to drag it across the level and then Mm. you simultaneously drag another item and put that where I started, the or this right. one from right, yep. then like things might get we weir- or, or if we both try to drag the same item to it two elsewhere. different places, right. uh, so there's there's a few there's a few kinds of scenarios that have like prolonged interactions. We'll, we'll go we- break it this morning. I think we're gonna probably, yeah, yeah we're gonna just tear day. it to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that, I think that's all we got for level head mm-hmm. right. Uh, and then otherwise this past weekend I I streamed uh, development on Twitch again, which is so that's I think the fourth time. Something like that. So that's uh it's
0: pretty good. I'm that's I'm
1: being good. consistent. I'm really sticking to it. Um, that's a lot better than our last time using Twitch, which
0: I think was four years ago. Probably. Uh, yeah, and we it was four <laughs>
1: years ago and I think we streamed playing depth or something. Yeah. But here's the thing. You know, we we tried to stream playing games, and we're just not that's just not who we are. Mm-hmm. You know? Like we're not those wild rambunctious streamers who just I can do it in a, in the more of the YouTuber setting where you clip out all the boring parts. Yeah, I think that's super fine. But yeah. I yeah, think just, when we play games, we are boring like 98% of the time. Yeah. because so- <laughs> I mean, as is the case, <laughs> basically everybody. That's why everybody. so
0: few people can be successful streamers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Because you have to engage with the game and with the audience and stuff. Um, but, uh, but I can, I can program and then you know, like pop in and out of chat and chat with people and stuff. So, so this past weekend hit uh, 50 concurrent viewers, which is a pretty cool milestone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you'd like to join in the fun and kind of see just how things come together in a game, uh, it's going to be happening again this Saturday, and all the information is over at uh, twitch.tv bscotch. So go ahead and check that out. Also, speaking of this weekend, Pixel Pop Festival mm-hmm. it's is, happening. Coming, yeah. is happening this upcoming Saturday and Sunday, July 28, 29. So that's an event here in St. Louis. Um, I believe it's thirty dollar pre-registration. Don't know what the price is at the door. Slightly higher. I guess I'm going to guess $35, yep. 40, $40. I don't know, seventy. It's probably yes. seventy dollars. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't really know. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's an event to kind of celebrate game developers from the Midwest and kind of uh, what's going on in St. Louis. So if you want to see some just some of that, there's also talks, uh, lots of demos, and yeah, and you know, actually exhibitors. they got quite a
2: few people from. Um, just from all over this year too there's people coming in from New York I know and a couple others from they've, like got this, or they've got so. this
1: worldwide street fighter champion doing a Q&A cool just all kinds of weird cool stuff mm-hmm. uh, so and then we at least one of us will be wandering around uh, Pixel Pop at some point so mm-hmm. if you if you come by come come on over and say hello mm-hmm. right, well, I think that's all the news we have yep so let's get on to some questions do yeah. it. these questions come from our listeners over at net. First question comes from Chelosis. Can y'all share some of the financial details of going indie minus actual numbers? How did y'all support yourselves in the beginning? Side jobs, living at home, et cetera. Is Crashland's revenue higher or lower than your current burn rate? This doesn't get talked about enough in the industry. That's probably true. Yeah. Most business things don't. Mm Mm-hmm. No one wants to hear about the numbers for some reason. So, uh,
2: yeah, I think – so to start with, as far as where where all of this started back six years ago, um, essentially when we, when we left our previous studio to start the company, uh, Seth and I both had set aside money to have basically six months of what we understood to be our runway intact so that, in other words, we could go work for six months on Butterscotch stuff and theoretically in that time window make enough money that
1: we would be okay. Yes, yeah, um, so that kind of means figure out – you know take meticulous notes, put together a budget and figure out your sort of lowest living expenses. Mm-hmm. And then, then sort of like thing. add a 50 percent on top of that because that's how it normally pans out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: – and that that included – I mean that's all the insurances, all that other stuff. So we weren't skimping on the things that, that a lot of people actually do skimp on, especially in, in uh, either artistic or independent endeavors where they're like, well, I just won't get health insurance for this year or two.
0: Although I think – we have to also acknowledge that we were coming from a hugely privileged place at that yes. time. Because I think we, so. Sam was definitely under twenty six, so he could he was on. I, our ca- I got insurance. to stay on.
2: Well, and this also happened right. This was shortly after the uh, ACA came into effect. Right. So the Affordable so, Care Act in the U.S.
0: And then
1: Seth, I think you. I was supported by my wife. Right. Yeah.
0: So so they mm-hmm. didn't have to deal with health insurance, um, yeah. which is a huge advantage, and didn't have uh, college debt. Actually, no, yes. Seth had
1: some. I had – yeah, I had some from law school. Law school yeah. debt, right. Yeah. I did not have any college debt at all. So but I, 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 I made free. the decision to drop out before it got too high. Yeah, so it, it, <laughs> so it wasn't the like $100,000 that – No, it, uh, was, more like, it was more like – it was more uh, like 20000 yeah, yeah, so so the burn yeah. rates then were – or the, the like, Low, projected lower than than, six
0: months is, is actually much, much lower than yeah, we, yeah. most people at this age.
1: Yeah, also I we didn't know. have children. Yep, which yeah. that
0: adds a lot. So. And being in St. Louis, the rent is really cheap. Yeah, so I think well, that's part of the motivation for staying in St. Louis
2: was yeah. Was to my keep apartment I think low. was seven forty a month. Yep, yeah. Plus, when I was living
0: here before I moved away to do my PhD stuff, I was in a six hundred dollar a month yeah um, apartment. So mm-hmm.
2: yep, yes. Yeah, so once you stack all the like, the groceries and everything else, and there, of course it goes up. But but yeah, we we were coming from a just a a phenomenally privileged background in terms of like the ability to start in enterprise when you. When you have debt and a bunch of this other stuff kind of in the background, it's just it's much harder, obviously, because you're essentially your your burn rate goes way up. Yeah. You need to pay off way, way up. all this other stuff. So. Yeah,
1: and, and it, so you know, a lot of people might have to bide their time more, kind mm-hmm. of s- save up longer, or you know, pay down their debts more aggressively, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. We also we have some we know some folks who moved to Mexico City mm-hmm. um, to bring their cost of living down mm-hmm. by like a. Two thirds or something like that.
0: Way way down. Yeah.
1: So there there are a lot of sort of weirder options that you can do to try to put yourself into a into a better position. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. So the the idea there though is to try to get yourself into a spot where whether it's living at home with your parents, supported by a spouse, moving to Mexico City, Mm -hmm. whatever it is you got to do. You know you got to understand what your current um, sort of cash flow issues are. Yeah. And then make make moves to sort of solidify those or you know alleviate any any particular ruts. And it's also worth noting this is just one particular model, right? So we, we were bootstrapped the whole way. So we didn't necessarily
2: yeah. we didn't ask for publisher funding. We didn't actually shop around to try to get a publisher or anybody to actually give us money to finish dev.
1: No Kickstarter, Kickstarter. Yeah, no Kickstarter popular. Thing.
2: And so there are there are other ways to go about it, one of which is to sort of while you still have your full-time job or whatever else, is to build up this prototype that's essentially like a visual especially visually um, impressive and then it is sort of a vertical slice of the game. And then you can use that for either Kickstarter or to try to, you know, reach out and get uh, publisher money from, from someone. So yep.
1: right. So there's, there are options. Um, yeah. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean sort of starving yourself for two years. If you, if you right. make something that people really want, then you, you can find publishers and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so when it comes to burn rate, uh, crash lands is now at about half, yeah uh, meaning like it's it's every day we spend twice as much money as Crashlands makes mm-hmm. uh, so burn rate math I think is really interesting because it's it's percentage based. and so like let's say we were making ten percent. that sounds really bad, right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's how here's how the math shakes out. the way to think about this is so i'm gonna I'm gonna say the formula. Uh, So don't get overwhelmed uh, because I'm going to give some examples of how this would look. So uh, so to figure out – so all you really need to care about with your burn rate is how many months can I operate? How many months can I sustain at this current level, Mm -hmm. right? So what you do is you take your cash on hand times your percentage of monthly cash lost. Okay, That's how many months you can operate. Mm -hmm. So example – if you have – let's say on all these examples, you're going to have three months of cash on hand, OK? Mm-hmm. So uh, so if you are making 25 uh, percent per day – I mean, we say three months of cash on hand. You mean
0: you have in the bank let's the say amount it, of money that you would spend in three months. Yeah. So
1: let's say right. it costs you uh, $5,000 a month to run your studio or something like that. Okay. Then you'd have 15000 in the bank. Okay. Cool. Uh, so if you're making 25 percent of your burn rate, meaning – uh, like whatever you're spending, you're only making a quarter of that in, in mm-hmm. income. Uh, then you then you say, okay, then you take three months divided by 0. 0.75. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's like one minus your your mm-hmm. 0.25. So, so that means your three months becomes four months. Right. So you get an extra month off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're making half, then you have double. Yep. So if you're making – if you're making half your money back and you have three months of cash in the bank, then your income will will get you through another three months. Right. If and then so then it, it starts to ramp up. Really dramatically. Though. Yeah,
0: because it's, it's a non-linear. It's
1: non-linear, right? Yeah. So as you get as you get higher up, so it also
0: means as you get lower, it gets worse too. Yes. Yeah. Right. So so, so <laughs> yeah. if you're making,
1: yeah, if you as you, as you get closer to zero, you run out of money way faster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're making, so that's if you're making 50% of your income, then you double your, your mm-hmm. sort of current runway. Which means that for us, we are currently basically doubled our, our uh, cash in the
0: bank in yes. terms of our runway. Yeah.
1: Um, if you're making 80% back, you know each each month, then that three months becomes 15 months. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so the yeah. difference between 50% and 80% is crazy huge. And the reason for this, because if you think about like where this all ends,
0: is if you're making 100% or more. Then your runway is infinite. Then your runway is infinite. So as, your, so pr- as that percentage
1: – yeah, this all has to trend yeah. towards infinity, yeah, as, yes, right. yeah, so it ramps up more and more. So if you're making ni- – so from 80% of your income, you got 15 months. If you're making 90% of your income, 30 months. Right. Right. So, So 50%, you got half a year. 80%, you got more than a year. 90% you got almost three years right, right. so yeah so our, our overall strategy then has been to um, put it, put all the money in the bank Yes, yeah, <laughs> much, yeah just hoard
0: it like we a, hoard <laughs> a, a large
2: a large <laughs> amount of money from crashing so like you know uh, the game sold half a million units and it did very well but we actually like we did not take the money um, we mainly just have it in the company for this exact reason which is that we know that the games take a long time to build and we also know that we might have a dud so like as excited as we are about level head
1: maybe not everybody else is <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> And this is a, this happens yeah. all the time, and so it's got to be that one of those cases where, uh, when this game comes out, though, if it ups our burn rate back yeah. to like eighty percent, and we still have money in the bank, then we're not in, in one of these situations where okay, we're fine now. Okay, yeah, we don't so, even have
1: to be. We don't even have mean to if, actually, if it ups our income. Our burn rate right. is our that's That's our it ups our daily. So income, income, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It doesn't even have to
0: like make as much money as Crashlands. It doesn't even have to actually break even on its own cost. It's mm-hmm. all about how it impacts
1: this formula. Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, like if, yeah, if, if this gets, if we get up to 95%, and we've got insane. like, we've got like eight years. Yeah. Right. So, so just have money. Yeah. And, and of course these things all stack. So whenever we launched Levelhead, it's not like the money from Crashland stops happening. Right. Uh, and in fact, it might even increase you yeah. know, if, if more people find out about the studio. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so the way to think about all these things is, is the more products you launch, the, the sort of more opportunities you have to recoup that. You know your your fixed costs, and then they stack on top of each other. They influence each other, and so one of the one of the things you see with a lot of early uh, indie studios is they overinvest in their early projects. The one, yeah. yeah, so they might spend three four years on their first game, and when they launch the thing, they don't actually have business experience. Mm-hmm. You know they they haven't developed a whole bunch of marketing strategies. They don't have business partners. They don't have a lot of uh, leverage in terms of of being able to pick and choose who their publishers are because they have no reputation. You know, there, there's all kinds of downsides that come from from launching your first game. Yeah, And so if you spend a ton of time launching that first one, um, then you might just have no money left. Yes. And yep. then well, now yeah, – Because you never made any money in the first place. You right? never made so any you, money. You don't,
0: have, you don't have that hoard that you're taking – that you're dividing by your percent mm-hmm. burn rate, right? Yeah. Uh, it, you're, that's just zero now, which means your your runway is always zero until you get a game out.
1: Yeah, and and one of the things that also really helped with Crashlands was Flop Rocket.
0: Yes, so which flop, we talked about
2: before, but it it bears repeating that that game came out. Flop Rocket was a two week project. Yeah, and it, and it got featured by the App Store, and it came out at just like a very good moment because Adam had hopped on the studio. Um, and we've been working on the game, I think, for a year and a half at that point.
1: Adam Water and I were not lines. being paid.
2: We were both being supported by our wives. Mm-hmm. I was being you know. paid the bare minimum to cover my costs of being alive in St. Louis, which was, I think, maybe $1,500 a month, yeah.
1: something like that. Sam was getting 1500 a month.
2: Just rolling. Just rolling in the dough. Yeah. And, uh, but again, with speaking, you know, without having the loans or without having the health insurance payment at that point, because I was on that was That was right at your... It was, it was more than enough, yeah. honestly. Like yeah. I was yeah. comfortable. So... Uh, so we go from there to, you know, it's been a year and a half in dev and Adam and Seth haven't seen any cash basically at all. I think probably – At like, all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I all. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're just burning per, savings. Yep.
2: And we're just burning savings or uh, basically being supported by the spouses. And then Flop Rocket came out and that allowed us to – that basically got us the extra at least like four or five months of dev on Crashlands to like really yeah. – To actually
1: comfortably – Finish the thing out. Yeah, it was the case that when, when Crashlands launched, I think we had two hundred in the bank. Yeah, I mean, it was like that was two hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> like it was. Yeah. We were right down to the end there. Yeah.
0: Um, well, that was part of why we launched when we did is we had to launch as soon as possible. There was still an infinite list of stuff that we kind of like wanted in yeah. the game. Uh, there were some bugs that we knew were weren't fully worked out,
1: but you know were worked out enough probably. Just ran, just didn't have any time just left. Every time left, we yeah. to get mm-hmm. that thing out. Yeah, uh, so I, I think this is an interesting point that this doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, I I think part of it too is there aren't there aren't actually a lot of studios that are fully independent in the sense that they've got no uh, no loans, no investors, no uh, publishers, you know, none of that stuff. And so this actually puts us in a position where we aren't jeopardizing any sort of confidential information. Yeah. Uh, by by talking about yeah, most you know, studios probably things.
2: have NDAs in place with any. I mean, like you, they literally can't talk about it. Yeah. So I mean, that's why that's why the funding oftentimes is this very mysterious thing. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're in the industry and you get to like get drinks with someone, and they might talk to you about like, oh yeah, here's how our model works, whatever. But um, generally, you're not going to hear it on a podcast or anything like that, as far as uh, how everything works.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and also there's a, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people go into games because they love video games, not because they love business. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a supply and demand question when it comes to these conversation topics, which is a lot of people actually don't. They don't. They actually don't want to talk about it because they're sort of allergic to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's yeah, actually. You
2: know. I mean, money is one of the hardest discussions, even for you know, in, in marital relationships. Uh, it's also one of the things that like friends just don't even talk about. People will yeah. talk about their sex lives, but they won't talk about how their finances are doing, right? Because like, it's a it's a weird thing that people just don't. Yep. You don't want to step on it, and also like everyone, most people have money issues, right? It's like a, it's just hard to have money. It's hard to manage it. It's hard to make it. <laughs> yeah, it just flies out, especially with like all the student loans and stuff these days. Like it's hard to just have money on hand. So I think it's a as business, then you're, you're you have not just your own personal finances, but then the business finances, which are a whole nother beast.
1: Yeah. So yeah, but I I, I appreciate that question. It's good good question. All right, this question comes from Sam Antonio. Do y'all have any brain hacks you use to stay positive and keep new ideas flowing? Your themes are often reminiscent of childhood, which I imagine is partially a result of working with your siblings. But are there things you guys like to do individually that helps keep your inner child alive? Mm.
2: So stay positive as it's related to cruising on projects? or probably just, just in
1: life maybe.
2: Mm-hmm. I think the, the general one I have is that if I notice that, I'm, that I feel like I have too much to do – like I just can't be still or whatever because like, oh, God, I got to go run around do all this stuff. That's actually when I force myself to go just do something else. Mm. So it's like – because the reality is usually you're fine. You have enough time. And if you don't, then at least this has happened to me before where you have all those things to do and then you just take a nap, right? Where you're like, oh, God, there's a huge list. And then you're <laughs> so just when like,
1: you say go do something else, that doesn't include taking a nap.
2: No, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean purposefully. Well, it could. But purposefully just, just basically put the brakes on and say uh, I'm going to go play the switch for for an hour or whatever the heck um because i just got one of those so or i'm gonna go like go for a walk with my wife or just go see some friends or something like that and so just taking that forced time break i think kind of helps dilate your time frame a little bit and then better understand how all these pieces kind of
0: fit together at least for me personally Hmm. that's been a big one yeah i think for me it was uh very different it has nothing to do with my childhood at all it's actually kind of exactly the opposite which was I had to surmount a handful of existential crises and get on the other side. And those were the fact that there will always be people better than me at stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that once you just decide that that's true, then – and you get on the other side of that you have – you basically now have two options. One is you just say, well, then who gives a shit about, about what I'm doing, right? The other one is you say, who gives a shit about other people? And so you can can easily (laughs) take the wrong path there. I actually (laughs) think most people do. It's just a
1: fork of the road. It's a fork of the road. You get get over that
0: hump where it stops bothering you. And then you take the correct fork where you now say, cool, I can just do my own thing. Because no one cares. Because no one cares about what you're doing. And there will be people who are better than you. That's Mm -hmm. just how the world works. Uh, Then now you just get to go do your own thing without the worries Mm -hmm. of what other people think about that. And so you take the same idea to kind of the other existential crisis, which is that you can't know anything. So you're just wrong about everything. Like all of mm-hmm. your beliefs, all of your ideas, like everything's just wrong. At especially least at be- least
2: at some level. And especially before you've really done the thing.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So any, anything you think you know about something that you haven't actually like got your hands into, you're a hundred percent wrong mm-hmm. about. As uh, opposed to ninety percent. As, as, as opposed, opposed to just well, like mostly, an expert. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and again, that, that's that's a thing that once you get over the other the other side of that hump, you can either then give up and just say, well, then what's even the point of like trying to know anything? Mm-hmm. Or you can say, cool, this sets me free to not have to worry about it. So you can still go experiment and still search and still try to become better and more knowledgeable. But you no longer have to worry about the fact that you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So now, this I have a collection me. of these existential crises that I got over and then took what I believe were the correct fork on the other side because mm-hmm. it's – Almost everybody takes the wrong fucking fork if they make it over that. So head. I want to say
1: – so Adam submitted a talk to GDC that was basically this. The talk yes. was called Everybody is Wrong About Everything All of the Time. But, <laughs> uh, for some reason, they didn't want to hear that. I do didn't want it. So that got rejected. But, but Adam gave – I was really a, pumped about giving that talk. Adam everybody. gave in, – internally in the studio gave a talk. Uh, it was about an hour and a half or so about – All the ways in which you're just wrong about Mm -hmm. it. It was
0: about the, it was basically about the kind of the philosophy of evidence and and how we understand the world and why, as a consequence of those things, we don't actually get to know anything.
1: Yeah. And my favorite, my favorite takeaway from that is the idea that the idea that your brain is not meant to portray an accurate representation of the world. No. Your brain is, is built. To portray a useful interpretation of the world. Yep,
0: And that's useful to your brain being the brain of
1: a monkey. Right. The mm-hmm. brain of a weird, smooth monkey. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so, so for example, when we see color, what you have to understand is that color doesn't really exist in the way mm-hmm. – like it's, it's a perception that we have of wavelengths of light.
0: That are being bounced off of a thing. That are
1: being bounced off of a thing. And so when we Which see it's pretty weird though cuz it has nothing to do with the thing. Right. So when we you know? say like mm-hmm. oh that thing is blue, no it isn't. We don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you uh, certainly perceive it as such. You, all you can say is oh yeah, see. all you can say is I see blue coming off of that thing. Yeah. And that's that's what that's all you can actually say. Mm-hmm. You actually can't make any declarative statement about mm-hmm. something being blue. And even if you right? did that doesn't
0: act – you don't know what that means. That so, doesn't you know, mean anything
1: versus another blue thing. Why are they blue? And what, what other like colors that, are there
0: that you can't
2: see? Kind of like that dress on the internet that caused yes. firestorms. <laughs> so it was like, is it blue or is it – was it
1: gold or black? I can't remember what the other color uh, was. But,
0: I can't – I just remember that my wife and I did see them oppositely.
1: Yeah. But then, yeah. And then even weird stuff like when people when people learn how to draw, they always draw mm-hmm. lines. Yep. Right? Because, because when – we, and when you're seeing things, you don't see lines. Like if, if you see somebody standing against a wall or something, mm-hmm. you don't see like black outlines around their body or whatever. But conceptually, your brain is putting outlines yeah, around it's, things. It's
0: parsing out things that it identifies as objects because well, sees, actually, your, your is a collection ca- of yeah, – Categorizing right. It sees a collection of shapes yeah. and colors that, are, that, it, that it represents, like, that it looks like a person because mm-hmm. it has this idea of what a person looks and like. And there's
2: also – there's like, a weirder theory about how people draw. Uh, based on this actually which is that people draw based on their sense of touch not based on sight which is why a lot of the times when they talk about uh, when you're training as a new artist you're not actually training your mechanical hands like if you know how to write you could you can physically draw Uh, the problem is that you can't see you literally cannot see in the way that is necessary to be able to render an object on a 2d plane because the way that you see things is more so about how they feel and yeah. so what's well, about it's about how useful
1: they are in whatever context you see them in
2: well no I mean this is, this is literally about like the idea that so if you if you were to draw a simplified face uh, most people draw like this weird sort of you draw like a circle and then you draw these weird eyes right and then like a line for the nose and a line for the mouth uh, but if you if you were to draw them as you actually see them as a simplified face then you would actually just draw sort of the shading of of the face you wouldn't draw lines and so right. there's this big idea that that you're And if you watch babies, like babies do this thing all the time, like they pick up an object and they, they're they staring at it and they're just like rubbing it, right? You just rub, <laughs> rub all over it because what's actually happening is that you're using your eyes to detect what something feels like physically. So that's why things can feel – you can see hardness in an object. You can see softness in an object. And it's all based on light and all this other stuff. And so there's this idea in, in a lot of the sort of teaching art communities that the biggest hurdle for people to get over when it comes to drawing is, again, so changing this, this reality of your perception from – your your brain is perceiving objects in terms of how they feel to touch, and then that's what you're rendering on the paper, which is why your stuff looks so fricking weird and hideous. Is because it's
1: not how you see right. it; it's how you're you're not portraying a you're not portraying it, yeah. a visual representation of it. You're portraying a basically a weird touch based like a weird synesthetic of it. combination yeah, of touch and it, feel. Yeah, it's, and, it's
0: that or it's that it's it, what you're drawing is the sort of abstract. Objectified in the meaning of like converting Mm -hmm. into objects kind of way because what your brain is actually doing is usually yeah yeah is is converting the the world around you into a collection of objects that have a bunch of information in your brain just stored away Mm -hmm. about them you know so if you're looking around a room and you see a microphone you know because like I I can see just three microphones right now but Mm -hmm. why can I see this because I know what microphones are my brain has this category of microphone it knows what it looks like Uh, and it has all these things about what I'm supposed to be behaving like around microphones like all Mm -hmm. these things are now just happening in my brain because these objects exist. Mm -hmm. So when you sit down to draw something like a microphone, uh, you're not gonna like you can't, you're not gonna conjure up like an exact image of one microphone and then draw that thing. What you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna conjure up the abstract object that is a microphone, right. and you're gonna draw that, which is just gonna be a fucking outline. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> well, it's also the case
2: that those are they refer to them as like getting away from just drawing symbols is one yeah. of the hardest things early on. Like if your eyeballs always look like those weird cartoon eyeballs because you can't. Because you can't like, you're, break you're away. Because you're
1: just capturing sort of – you've got like a, a couple of checkboxes.
2: Yeah, you've got like an abstract icon yeah. of an eyeball and that's actually what you're drawing. You're not drawing whatever eyeball you're seeing. You're drawing that yeah. you know, place of it. And so that's why all of the faces that people tend to start early drawing just look kind of the same in this weird kind of cartoonish thing.
1: And something something you told me a while ago about the, the concept of same face.
2: Yeah. Which, yeah. To, which is talk about that. Is the the same sort of idea, which is that uh, oftentimes when – once people – Get a little bit into their drawing practice, they'll they'll finally be able to like draw an eye, like one type of eye.
1: They've mastered drawing that eye,
2: that particular <laughs> eye. So there's <that> no <laughs> longer the iconified one. So it looks like an actual eyeball, maybe, but it's that um, one. But it's just that one. And then the same thing happens with like the nose and the mouth and just the overall proportions of the face. And so they get this, this or the the symptom or the syndrome that people refer to as "same face," which is yeah, you might have like a bunch of these different characters.
1: They all have the same, but face. they just have <laughs> the same face. Like they get different hair, maybe like earrings or whatever else. But it's the same face all over the place. Yeah. So that's where that deliberate practice comes from of recognizing. Yeah. Holy crap! I've been drawing the same face on every person. Yeah. Just well, yeah. different. Well, hair. then also
0: then learning how because because again like what you've learned how to draw isn't eyes like like you're saying because eyes are an abstract idea mm-hmm. right? You've you've actually started to represent and you know an eye a specific yeah. eye. In order to be able to draw many of them, you have to change your abstraction of them. Either change your abstraction so that your abstraction includes all the details and the variation of what eyes could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you just have to now have a whole like list of specific eyes right. that, that now live in your you brain that you can conjure up.
2: Well, my favorite thing is that if you look at uh, – like one of the best early art practices to prove that you can draw if you haven't ever drawn before is just to take a, a picture and then turn it upside down. And then draw yeah, that.
0: that.
1: Man, that helps a lot.
0: Because
2: it literally – because your brain just shuts the hell up. Like it yeah. just – it stops trying to put these weird
0: iconified bits. Your brain is like, oh, that's
1: a house. Your brain is like, I have no – It's upside down. I have I no got, idea what this is. I've never <laughs> so seen it. I've never seen anything yeah, like so this. It, yeah.
0: it stops trying to abstract what you're looking at and lets you just see the thing. Yeah. It lets you just see the lines and see the shading. Exactly. And just fully represent it. That's a good brain hack. Oh, it's awesome. But yeah, yeah. so
2: as far as these other ones, is you know, keeping a, an optimistic attitude and stuff, I think beyond the usuals of like really – For me, like, my life, I think, has really positively changed since I tried to be way more forceful about getting my sleep, controlling my caffeine intake, and then, like, planning for five minutes every morning.
1: Sleep helps a shitload. There's a couple
2: of things. Yeah, you just kind of – things are just better when those three things are kind of happening. So I don't know if it's a life hack per se. I, maybe it is. <laughs> I think, I think so a
1: lot hay, of, it's just like playing by the rules. Yeah. A lot of them are just doing what
0: you were supposed to have been doing. Probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Stop. Stop not doing what you're supposed yeah. to be doing. Don't eat too much. Exercise sometimes. Stop eating when you're full. Sleep. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, be nice to people. Yeah. I, I think for for me, something that I've sort of learned slowly over the years is to fully embrace the idea of you're not bad at stuff; you just haven't put enough time in, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and recognizing that as long as you make a conscious effort to put time into whatever it is, uh, then over over the years you just get there, right? Yeah. So if you're putting in an hour a day or a half, like if you're putting in a half hour a day, um, then that means in a given year you're getting like 170 hours of whatever that thing is, you know. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now. You will have a thousand hours of, of whatever, yeah, and then somebody else who just didn't, who didn't put in those mm-hmm. thirty minutes, uh, you're now a thousand hours of expertise ahead of them, yeah. right? And so, like these little things just add up a lot, and then people see that and they go, "Oh my god, how are you so good?" And they don't want, they don't want to hear,
2: it's just like what we talked about <laughs> in the podcast. So it was like, what would you tell your younger art self? Right? It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, I wasn't ready. To, I wasn't ready to accept the fact that the only way to get better. Is to spend some time doing, doing the better. damn thing. Yeah, and, and yeah. stop
1: focusing so hard on being good at the thing and getting getting perfect results and just focus on just put, just yeah. doing it. I think
2: my – yeah, my other life hack, which is a good one from uh, from my Saturday this weekend. So I had like a big list of stuff to try to tackle around the house and it happened to be all this stuff that actually you can't probably actually do in one go. So for example, I was like reorganize my drawing room upstairs and in the process of doing that, I threw a, threw a few things out. Um, and realize that I don't want my bookshelf anymore, so now I need to like sell that thing somehow, uh, and then realize that I probably need a little rug or something in there. So I can't, I basically couldn't, I can't do those things. I sort of, I was able to prep the space and then realize that I now have this list of 40 other tasks that came about from doing this thing. And I cleaned up my yard, like I weeded the yard. That was an easy one and done thing. But then the rest of it, you know, now I have this huge pile of brush that I somehow need to get away from my property, but I don't have a truck, so i got to figure out how to do this. And so on Saturday evening, I felt like I was like, "Oh man, like, I didn't get, I didn't get any of this stuff done." Like I spent hours. You got a whole bunch of other stuff done. I was, well, I think this or was preliminary the preliminary stuff. Exactly. I was I was actually I was focused on the result again, which is yep. I need this outcome to happen. And the reality was actually I had moved all of these projects about eight hours forward.
1: Yeah, if and if your goal to changes move. to you know make as much meaningful progress as possible, yes. toward these goals, yeah, as opposed to just
2: meeting the goals yeah and it's a trap i fall into personally all the time i think it's always been sort of my uh, my personal psychological hindrance is just if the thing isn't completed then i get bummed about the fact that i've spent x amount of time in it without that completion happening and so yeah, I mean, that focus literally made it so saturday evening i was like oh this is not a very good day and my wife was like what are you talking about you did like blah blah, blah. all these projects moved forward and i was like actually it's a really good day but, <laughs> honestly i
1: think there's there's something that i think would help Almost anyone, which is to pick up a sport, yeah, because the feedback is so immediate. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, like people, people get weird about things like art or math or whatever. But nobody jumps into a swimming pool. Like maybe they don't know how to swim. They jump into the swimming pool and they get out upset that they aren't going to the Olympics that day. Right? right? Like you, you just sit there and you're like, yeah, that was really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm learning somehow
0: it. understandable that you have to be bad at physical things before you can be good at them. Yes. Right.
1: Uh you can see just how bad you look swimming. You know, mm-hmm. like you're flailing around, you're choking, you're drowning, and people are rescuing know, you. Yeah, and with
0: like with star athletes, while well, we all know they might have something extra going on for them, we still know that mostly it's they just put it they in a put ton in more work than almost anybody yeah. else. Yeah. And, and so, we all yeah, why is it that
1: we all know that we when all it comes know it's physical <laughs> things but
0: yeah, it's weird. I think it's because
1: yeah. you can't see it. You can't see what's going on in other people's minds. Yeah. So, yeah. If there's uh,
2: a if there's a physical representation of just how hard you were working when you were doing something like coding or drawing. Because like it it looks
1: like you're doing literally nothing.
0: Yeah. You're so just we need, we need there like cracking. a brain meter. You need a brain meter, yeah. Yeah. It's and just,
1: and it's the case that, you know, a lot of times employers talk about how they, they love hiring athletes. Yeah. They love hiring people who are college athletes and stuff because they, they know how to work. They know how when to – they, they they have a, an intuitive sense that, yeah, things really suck a lot for a long time until you get really good at it. Yep. right? Um, and, that, and then, then even when you get really good at it, it's still just a lot of work. It still is a lot of work. You right? don't
0: get to ever just take a break.
1: Right. You you're not like, I'm really good at football now. Now I don't have to make any effort and I'm just at the Super Bowl. Like, no, yep. you still have to work way harder than everybody yep. else, right? And so there's something about athletics that I think um, sort of – Taps into that because it's so easy to see it. It's so easy to understand it. And so if you haven't done – Well, I think there's, there's another part of it too though that might be as or
0: even more important than just the seeing it, which is that in athletics, you have a coach. Yes. Yeah. And what a coach's job is is to instill habits into you. Against your will, mm-hmm. right? Right,
1: because you're not going to do it. Because you're not going to do it. <laughs> and so if you, they're a parent. They're they're parenting you yeah. through this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so that when you get on the other side of it, then you you've
0: seen the outcome of all of this. So like so, when your parents, when you're young, say like you'll understand when you're older why this was a good mm-hmm. idea, right? And you're you know fighting tooth and nail. Then maybe it, someday you actually do see. Uh, and a coach is exactly the same way. It's they're they're forcing you to do all this stuff that hurts and it sucks and. You you kind of abstractly know that it's good for you and that the end result is going to be good, um, but you actually don't like the feedback isn't that tight. You don't see on a day to day basis at mm-hmm. all that you're improving, and like it's, it's that's on a week to a month basis, right? So I think having a coach is probably much more important uh, conceptually than just like
1: or even a, sport. a even a a partner, or if you join a league or something like yeah. that, um, where there's other people who are good at the thing, and you can see them and talk to them about it and stuff like that. Yep. Um, or
0: or hire a coach. Or be involved in a thing that has coaching in it. Uh, right. <laughs> that's not a sport, but that has, has something to do with what you care about.
1: Yeah. Right? So, so. so even something like you know a lot of there's a thing called Masters Swimming, mm-hmm. where they're, you know different cities have different chapters of Master Swim programs, and oftentimes they'll they'll put together a pre-built workout. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're not going to make your own workouts really hard. Yep. Why would you do that? <laughs> it hurts. But if somebody else says like, yeah, here's what you have to do today, you're like, well, shit, I man, I guess. I guess. You're right. I guess I must do <laughs> this is it. The beauty of something like CrossFit, you just show up and they're like, do all these horrible things to yourself, and you're like, I guess, fine, okay, yeah. <laughs> and no, like, and the, yeah, the the crazy thing about all this stuff is CrossFit in particular. Uh, a lot of the the movements that they do are meant to be functional movements that you don't need a lot of equipment to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like anybody could just like. You know, yeah, get you can a b- make your own. Wad. Yeah, get one of those like twenty dollar pull up bars. Slap that into your mm-hmm. doorway somewhere. Um, grab a sandbag and start throwing it around your garage, and like <laughs> that's CrossFit, right? Yep. <laughs> nobody's nobody's doing that. Instead, they're paying a hundred whatever dollars a month to go have somebody tell them to yeah, do it. Because what you're
0: paying for is the is the habit formation and, and people forcing you to do things against your will. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and, and that's not to be discounted because it means everything. Yeah, you know <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the whole point of it. Uh, all right, we got time for one more question. Uh question comes from, from I.M. Cade. Have you ever had a mentor? Yes. Sam Sam did. I did. Does. I do. Did and do. Uh, yeah, I've, I think I've had probably two of them. Um,
2: first one was my statistics professor in college. And It's funny because I got like a B. I mean, I wasn't like a standout student, but I was way more interested in it than most of the students were, if that makes sense. So. Uh, My final project I did on – it was a stats analysis of Global Agenda, which I think Adam helped me with. I think we built a web scraper. yeah. I forgot about that. So I called Adam and I was like, all right, I need a shitload of data, but I can't get it. So I need you to build a web scraper for me.
1: When was this? This is in 2010 or 11. I remember Global Agenda was – popular around 2010. Yeah, so this is a, yeah. it's like it's a, it's a, a
2: shooter MMO. Yeah, class-based PvP game. Okay. And so my question from was high res
1: studios. Yes. Yeah, so my
2: question was, can you answer the question with stats? Uh, what is the optimum, what's the optimal team composition? So there's usually five man teams or 10 man teams. So uh, looking at when because they basically every single game that was played was published as, as the results of it, the stats as far as who killed how many people, et cetera. And so the question was can we just take at a basic level the different classes that are in a match how many of those, like what's the optimal number of medics to have uh, like the rogue class to have, et cetera. And the funniest part was the only thing I could say about it. Like the only thing that came out was that the more of the rogues that you had, the you, the did. worse you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it actually is because of the mentality. Yeah, they were not, the one class that like, they could just kind of go murder stuff by themselves.
1: They're, they're actually, they're a class that has no team based yes. skills and they're, and the type of player who chooses that class possibly is somebody I who think it would tend to, to
2: tend to trend toward more of a solo person, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like so, it's like
1: a glass cannon with stealth, and they either snipe or they like do they get up and do melee, yeah, stuff. And, but they're not with the team.
2: Yeah, and Adam, so I was <laughs> and I was completely <laughs> shocked by this. and I was also cracking up because that was that was the class that I played. And I was like, <laughs> I, was like oh, I need to make a change. Um, but yeah, so so I did that that study, and I think because I did it on a thing I was interested in, um, because I had Adam help me with the the stats collection. Like it was just a fun. I was just way
0: more interested in the stats than because of that. Yeah. It turns out mostly when you learn stats, they're they're giving you like boring ass business, like yeah, just, example, business expense reports or th- right. and things like that. Where are like,
1: someone's like, and then, yeah, if they said, what if you picked a rogue? Is that the right choice yeah, if yeah, you right. want to win more yeah. matches? Yeah. 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 So
2: this is Professor Eli Senior was guy's name. Um, and he's also very, he's got like a really dry wit. And so he and I would just kind of banter a little bit. So yeah, I mean, I got to be in his class, but then I would occasionally show up there because you know, we did some some stats work both in the studio. We've done all sorts of weird stuff as far as the data we've gotten from our players. And so every so often, I just fire him a question over whatever else. And so um, he was sort of like a really light mentor because I think he just – he again sort of cracked open the stats as like a fun thing that I could do just as an interesting activity as opposed to strictly in a business. Aspect.
1: That reminds me of – I in my uh, econometrics course in – in my undergrad, I did a econ- economic study t- trying to discern if there was a cultural difference between Horde and Alliance players mm. uh, in World of Warcraft because they have, they have access to all of the same – at that time, they had access to all of the same parts of the game, all the same uh, character classes, you know, everything. And so, so the question is, is there a difference – is there a measurable difference in what those players are doing sort of in their activities, right? And so I found that – that horde players had an average of 250 more achievement points than alliance hmm. players and out of maybe like 5,000 achievement points. So right. it was like it was a, a significant amount um, and they were largely focused on player versus player achievements, right? So like the alliance hmm. players would just get – and this is an interesting question because player versus player is also a zero-sum game, right? So if one team wins a lot and the other team loses a lot, then of course the winning team is going to get more achievements. Yep. Yeah. And also the other team is going to be discouraged from participating. Yeah. Right? so, <laughs>
0: yeah, so it's also got a feedback loop. So
1: it. Yeah, it creates a feed, an interesting feedback loop. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was – I mean this is the kind of stuff that – I. yeah, I wish there was more opportunities to do this kind of stuff in college. Yeah,
2: I, I love that project. It's my favorite ones. And so the, and then the other mentor I had was, uh, was sort of around the same time actually. It uh, was, was this guy Troy who was the design mentor I had who ended up sort of getting me into web development, which is what sort of got me into programming at the end of the day and then into game design which is what so, got
1: you into an internship which started the, the game jam in St. Louis yeah, and then so, shenanigans. Yep, so that was this <laughs>
2: weird snowball effect that happened out of that. And I think the big thing for for having a mentor is just I've tried to always maintain that I uh in those positions where I get get an opportunity or or in class or something like that is just try to maintain that you're you're absolutely there to learn stuff. And I think people can pick up on whether or not you're actually showing up to like with an open sort of mind to get the material. And uh, speaking from our own experience of being teachers, uh, yeah, you, cannot, you can basically spot those kids day one, which ones are like showing up to really be there.
1: Which ones are not sleeping.
2: Yeah. Also, you that, know, just all these, obvious all these subtle
1: things that you pick up on yeah. when you're in the front of the class. <laughs> it's, uh, and I remember I,
2: uh, I mean, Troy mentioned that uh, part of the reason he and I are getting, getting along so well is because it was a class of like 12 or 15 people and there's a bunch of computers in the room. So everyone actually sat at a computer desk by default. And then the projector was uh, projecting stuff up on the screen. and I was the only student who would just sit there with facing directly toward the projector.
1: And not looking at the computer. Not, never look
2: at my computer. And he said, I was always just ramrod straight. Like my, I was, my posture was just 100% straight and I was just looking at stuff just all the time. <laughs> and yeah, so it made an impression on him and then we started chatting and then he offered me a little gig doing some HTML stuff even though I couldn't and
1: then that sort of snowballed into – I will say having – I hadn't taught a, like a legitimate course until we, we taught that uh, game dev course at WashU. And as a student, you're so self-absorbed. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That, I feel so that bad you about do, my – Yeah. Because <laughs> <like, laughs> it's just another class. Yeah. It's just another class. Who who cares? I, I've got is five this, other classes. Is this class. really even valuable to you? Is do? this yeah. even valuable? You've got drinking to do. Yeah. I've got <laughs> much more important things that are going to shorten my lifespan to take care of. <laughs> yeah, uh, And so – you know, I can think back on my college, you know, going into class and, you know, not making eye contact with the professor while they're talking about things, you know, being generally disinterested in various mm-hmm. topics. And you just don't think about the fact that, that this professor, like this is their thing. Yeah, Like they're there. They're fucking pumped about their whole life is is teaching this subject yeah. and it matters a lot to them. And they just might have something fucking awesome to share <laughs> yeah, with you, right. Yep. right? I mean, and of course that doesn't always come across because not mm-hmm. everybody is, has a good stage presence. Well, but also you know, <laughs> if, if you're a teacher long enough and see people not giving a shit for long enough, there's a
0: pretty good chance you just get jaded it's and then the feedback, and then you don't loop.
1: put in the work anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. and so you know, be, then being on the other side of that and seeing just just how unbelievably easy it is standing at the front of the room to see who gives a shit and who doesn't. Yeah. Like you, you as a, as a student, you think that that nobody's noticing you in the back row with your head down. Everybody like, oh, knows if oh you're my texting. It's <laughs> yeah. <is> so obvious. <laughs> yeah. The professor knows
2: if you're texting or if you're on Facebook. Just you could tell. It's
1: yeah. It's so obvious. It's unbelievably obvious. There's no way to hide it. No. Yeah. So, so that's that was a very interesting experience. Yeah. Did you guys ever have any mentorship figures? Uh, I mean,
0: I had. Not in the same way that you did, and that it was a mm-hmm. person I sort of identified as a mentor, you know. But since I went through a, a sort of pre-science career, then that that includes a sort of well-defined hierarchical right. mentor-mentee relationship, um, and so I had that. But that's much more of a sort of a it's like a almost vocational, thing. you know, yeah. kind of uh, 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 what's what's the right word, like apprenticeship mm-hmm. style, right? Um, and so yeah, so that I had people who were very like one-on-one, directly responsible for. My education and mm-hmm. the kinds of thinking that I had, and so on. Um, but at the same time, it was uh, because it was structural, it wasn't like a thing that we all opted into, you know? So it's this not is not kind a of a, relationship
2: building. It's yeah. Just, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I, I mean, I had perfectly good relationships with all those people um, and got a lot out of those things. But they, they weren't, they aren't people that I like. If I think, if somebody asked me the question, like, did you have any mentors? I don't, I don't point to those people and say, like, yes, those mm-hmm. were, those were them, you know? Cause that, that was, it was just felt much more like we were all doing our jobs. Right. And it was good. Like we got we got a lot of good stuff out of it, but um, but it was really just that.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'll say I had I had two. And I think what makes a good mentor is somebody who doesn't put up with your bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like okay Or who's and really I, good. Which at, is true whether it's structural. Yeah. Yes. Or And or. I don't mean that in a negative way.
2: No, I, I mean 'cause they they can be very good. It's like Troy was very good at you'd maybe dump a bunch of grievances on him and then he would take it and very nicely somehow like repackage it
1: and be like this is your problem. This is your problem. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so I think that the two people who have kind of affected me the most, and, and when I when I say people don't put up with your bullshit, it's that every single one of us. It's a human. Na- it's a human tendency to try to find ways out of doing sh- stuff. Yeah, it's like doing things is hard, and all we want to do is whine about it. You know, yep. and uh, a good mentor is somebody who comes in and just reminds you that nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody <laughs> cares how upset you are about doing this amazing thing that will make you better. Right. Uh, just shut up and do it. Mm-hmm. And so, so I had my swimming coach who uh, taught me about all kinds of things like, you know, being able to visualize uh, what you're going to be doing and kind of putting, putting down a plan and, and putting together a good, you know, like a more of like a whole life approach to what it is that you're doing. Cause you know, if, if, if I went to swimming and i still just was like eating garbage all the time and i wasn't i wasn't also like lifting weights or doing other things to to keep my life in order or even things like focusing on academics because if i am failing my classes then i'm not eligible to swim right mm-hmm. and so there's there's all these things that that kind of wrap up into being a good member of the swim team you know and he kind of taught me how to take that sort of higher level view of just doing good work mm-hmm.
0: And when he complained, he did not give. a
1: fuck. He didn't give a shit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. he and he was this you know six foot four dude with a long hair, big beard, um, and he had this look. Was, oh yeah, he looked scary. He he looked. He's a scary he wore dude. yeah. He wore and and he all, he was this kind of mythical figure because we also knew that he had a farm. Mm-hmm. He also worked a normal day job. And he was the coach mm-hmm. for the swim team. Was and he even
0: paid for that or was he – I, like I think I he was, it's a tiny amount. He was
1: paid like $1,000 or yeah, something just, like, was to, to coach point, swimming like, for three boats. Yeah. Um, and, and we had swimming at, uh, for, at 6 o'clock in the morning, 6 to 7 a.m. He was always there no matter what the weather – Like we, he never canceled a practice. Never sick. Yeah. And his rule was if I can get to practice, it's not canceled. And, and, <laughs> and he, he was, lived 15 miles out of town. He lived 15 miles farm. out of town on yeah. a farm, No, and the, and the roads didn't get plowed or anything. Mm. And so every now and then there'd be a huge blizzard. There he was. <laughs> there he was at practice. How? He, I yeah. don't know. And so he kind of set this example of just like, just shut up. <laughs>
2: just yep. shut Quit up and do whining
1: the work. about everything. Just yeah, do when, it. But it, it comes back to the whole self absorption thing, right?
0: I didn't think of because I saw him as that mythical figure, but I didn't actually think of him as a person. Yeah, you know? yeah. With, with all because all the stuff <laughs> you're talking about, that was a person who decided that swimming was important. He and, has all the same and and in fucking problems yeah. as we do. Right. And, you and, know? and instilling, uh, you know, good behavior and healthy habits and all this kind of stuff into young uh, douchey people, right? <laughs> <were just> teenagers, <laughs> su- teenagers right. who were just super self absorbed. That that was really important, and so he's going to dedicate. And he went basically effectively as a volunteer, he was going to wake up and, see, and he had to figure this stuff out because like we didn't have a swimming pool in high school. We had to borrow we had college to, yeah, pool. The, the college's pool for like this one hour window where they would let us. And he had to fight them mm-hmm. to let us. So like there was all these, all these battles he was like going on on our behalf. And he never told us about he it. He never told us about he it. Never whined about it. Never whined about <laughs> anything. And as a consequence, like I didn't I didn't even think of him as a person. And so all this stuff that he – like
1: I had – I Like I you, had you've got all that. your normal person problems and then right. here he is – just like a rock. He's just a he's guy just, who's he's just a force of right. nature. Yeah. Just right. always there, you know. And I think
0: there are some downsides to that actually, which is that again, like if you don't see a person as a person, you, you can't know, be them. Then you can't be them and you can't actually you you it's much easier to see them as an obstacle or as something that's creating problems for you then because I think because this is the same way I saw professors when I was again like speaking of the self-absorption right uh, is I didn't see my professors as people until like the end of college mm. and really until grad school because then we I interacted with them one-on-one as people uh, but before that it was just a person up in the front of the room who seemed to know so much more than me that it was like a just a
1: different they're like a weird alien that yeah, came exactly. down and <laughs> right. you're like I don't think we have I don't think we live on the same planet and they try right. to
2: make you do stuff and you're like
1: no yeah.
2: I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want to do it will be very good
1: for you if you yeah, do this. and then I think my my second person uh, was was my finance professor. So what happened was I was I was going to I was going to school for economics with a marketing sort of minor, um, and then this this really interesting looking dude came into one of my mm-hmm. accounting classes, and uh, he had just like white hair and dark skin, so he had like this really awesome mm-hmm. contrast. Uh, he's he's from Bangladesh, mm-hmm. and he comes in and he. He just has this very commanding presence, and he's just like, how many of you know about the CPA exam? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, we know about that. That's the you know public accountant thing to become a, a certified accountant. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how many of you know of the CFA? And n- nobody knows what he's talking about. And he says, the CFA is the CPA for people who want to retire when they're 35. <laughs> if you'd like to know about this, come to my office. <laughs> And that was his whole pitch. <laughs> so, That's so I was mysterious. Like, I was like, <laughs> I want to know about this. <laughs> and I had one semester left. It sounds
0: like a scene in a, in a movie. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so I had one semester left and I had just worked out that I only had one class left to take that happened to be a finance class, right, uh, in order to get all my credits to graduate. So I was like going to spill over to the next semester and I needed something to fill the time. So I went, I went down to his office and I'm like, tell me, tell me about this thing. And he says, it's one of the hardest exams. The failure rate is about 80 percent. Um, awesome. And in order to pass it, you only need to get a 70 percent. So you can still miss almost a third of the questions and pass it. And still most people can't do it. Mm. Um, and so he says, if, if you want to take this, you're going to have to take every high-level finance course that we have next semester. I was like, I'm not a finance major. He's like, you better become one. <laughs> Because Again, not putting up with your yeah, shit, right? Because like, if you want if you want to do this, then you got to do it. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit. So, <laughs> so I went. I went to my advisor. I I declared a finance major, and i i picked I picked up every single high level finance course all at once, including I, including intermediate finance because I hadn't taken that yet, even. Mm. Um, so <laughs> I, I just so I had a, I had one semester where this guy was my professor for every class so i i couldn't escape him and and I just saw in every single class he was just fucking relentless like he <laughs> he was he was very clear and fair and direct, but he just didn't put up with anybody's nonsense about anything uh so it was very much like the swim coach right Brilliant. people kept trying to find ways around it, and he just didn't give an inch mm-hmm. so I think having somebody and then i and then I ended up taking the c f a exam uh and i and I passed it. But it was—I mean—I would not have been able to do that without yeah. without this guy. Yeah. It's usually I think people train for like three years to go take, right? Yeah,
2: I mean, you did it in like four months. Four or Four months. Yeah. yeah.
1: But again, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't you. It wasn't it was you me. Plus the guy. It was it was me having this person who just didn't let me get out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think yeah, if you if you find somebody like that, then you got to make sure that you acknowledge how special that is
0: actually there's also and we talk about this a bit uh maybe not on the podcast but there's also kind of a related idea of sort of an anti-mentor right because you're talking about this guy doing all this stuff right it reminded me of my uh, in college we had advisors who would you know tell us whether we were on the right path taking good class loads all that kind of stuff uh when i decided i wanted to do biology i was like okay i've got finite time here because i was going to graduate in four years you know whatever and so I wanted to take – I just wanted to pack it. I wanted to do like just everything in one go and I wanted to get into like the high-level chemistry and the high-level biochemistry. And I wanted to get into all that stuff as fast as I could. So I started taking these max loads just every – we were on a quarter system. So every quarter I would take a max load, all like the hard science classes, you know. And, uh, and then when I first laid out what I wanted to do to my advisor, mm. she she was like, no, you you really shouldn't do this. Like this is – you're going to burn out. This is going to be too hard and you know you're not going to be able to succeed doing this, you know. And I was just like, uh, "Fuck you!" <laughs> you <know>? Like, <laughs> so, so I had I had somebody basically acting as a as an antagonist, as, an, as basically telling me I couldn't do it. You know, mm. that is true. You do you do need an opposing
1: force, yeah. So yeah. somebody to prove wrong, yeah. And so you that know? that
0: was my best semester or my best quarter of my whole college career was <laughs> right? Somebody she told, told you can't. Yeah, she, she told, told me I you couldn't can't. do it, and I was like, "I'm gonna." I was like, "I'm gonna do
2: this." We you know why? why it's because every time you start fucking around, that
0: voice comes in the back of your head, yeah. Like, you can't do it. And You're like. Fuck you! I'm gonna get it. Yeah, I mean, and that set me on a on a course for the rest of my college because that was probably my second year of college when that Mm. sort of started. Uh, The the rest of my college career, I was buried in buried in books and coursework the entire time. That's when your eye. That was when my eyes gave up. Like everything, my whole body just disintegrated. Yeah, you became a
1: skeleton. Yeah,
0: but I learned a bunch of stuff.
1: (laughs) You can always get your your muscles back later. Yeah, when you're young, you
0: can. When you get, it's harder when you get older. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our – we'll just say Discord running. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, hop into our Discord server, which is over at discord.gg bscotch and come say hello. Now we're usually lurking around in there at various points in the day. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. We've got mugs, shirts, stickers, posters, You name it, as long as it's one of those four things, it is in our shop. Yep. Also, if you'd like to send us something, we have a mailbox, uh, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. Finally, if you'd like to uh, buy us a cup of coffee, you can head on over to (laughs) moneygrab.bscotch.net. Give us a a donation to help support the podcast. We appreciate it tremendously. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.